Welcome to the FinTV podcast series, where we tap into the collective expertise of the world's leading supply chain, manufacturing, and digital innovators. My name is Maria Villablanca, the co-founder and CEO of Future Insights Network, and I'll be your host. Join us every week to hear the opinions, lessons, and general guidelines from the industry's leading minds. FinTV, insights for today's digital leaders. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of FinTV. Today, I'm joined by Philip Greenfield, who's the European Supply Chain Director at Dyson. Philip, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure to be here, Maria. So why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, uh, I'm uh, originally from New York, but I've been working internationally for over 20 years now, uh, currently living in Paris. I've got about 30 years of uh, global supply chain and logistics experiences, uh, working over 90 different countries throughout Europe, uh, Middle East, uh, Asia, and North America. Uh, Extensive experiences in retail, consumer products, e-commerce, multi-channel, multi-channel, omni-channel. Also, uh, large experiences managing uh, big budgets and capital expenditure uh, projects. Uh, I typically someone who work, likes to work cross-functionally throughout the organization. Uh, I've worked, um, I've actually have a dual career. The first part of my career was working as a management consultant, uh, specializing in supply chain logistics for uh, Deloitte & Touche, KPMG, and also Accenture. And then I've spent the other half of my career working uh, as a European or as a global supply chain leader with companies like uh, Dyson, uh, Ketter, Toys R Us, uh, Johnson & Johnson uh, Consumer, as well as Dannon Beverages in the US. That's a pretty colorful background that you've got there. You know, you went from from the dark side to the light side or depending how you look at it, you know, so you've occupied both sides of the aisle as it were. Yes, and uh, it's been really a professional and a personal pleasure doing that because um, as a a management consultant, we really have that opportunity to work with really great companies and and great people and uh, think through and work through different strategies or very tactical operational aspects. But then when you cross over into operations, leadership and management, you really own that. And uh, that's another experience. Um, and also the people aspects, uh, which are quite important because uh, the change management transformation is with us. It's been with us forever. Um, and uh, as technology and as other uh, leading ideas start to come in, especially with more omni-channel and multi-channel distribution, uh, the change management has become uh, a much more crucial part of the transformation. But, you know, one of the things that I really respect of people that have had that kind of background where they've worked on both sides is with the consultancy side, you probably have seen so many different sectors and industries implement things, succeed or fail at things. So you, it probably helped you uh, as a, in your operational role. Exactly. Um, that's why, you know, as a management consultant, it, it's really a boot camp. Um, in the 15 years I was doing that, 14, 15 years, I must have worked with almost 50 different companies and hundreds of different warehouses and, and manufacturing facilities. So what, what, I, what I took from that uh, was just the vastness of experiences um, across the globe and uh, bringing uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And uh, th- that's all good when you, when you get out there in the real world as an operations uh, leader and owner 
because um, when you get a chance to see where you are in, in the change uh, aspects or transformation, uh, especially in areas of automation and, and people uh, aspects to it, uh, systems especially, uh, this gives you, a, or gives, it's given me a great comparison and also using different backgrounds and experience as a management consultant helped me gear uh, the different transitions as well as being able to quickly assess. And that's the important thing these days because um, it's all about being fast and really um, getting to the bottom of things or at least getting a, a good solid understanding of how things are working because we don't, we don't want to spend all the time there. We want to spend time really how we're going to take it forward, how we're going to get to the next step uh, together with the people and the process and the systems. What was your biggest learning curve moving from one side to the, to the other? So moving from the management consulting to uh, operational. I think um, the, the aspect of the cross-functional uh, is, is quite uh, challenging because uh, companies bring different experiences and histories. And also they're unique in many ways, just like individual people. Companies are like people. And uh, when you enter into a company, you enter into the history. <laughs> and uh, it's interesting because uh, some of these companies I've worked for have very old histories. So with people that have worked together for 10, 20 years, and, um, and they have their way of making things happen, right? And then yeah. there's the new people or the organizations with new people. So um, getting the cross-functional aspects, uh, getting people on board, and, and really, when you look at supply chain, especially in international global perspective, uh, as well as these global matrix organizations that are here to stay forever, um, we really have to figure out uh, how to navigate through that and how to bring everyone along, or at least at a minimum, bring the whole thing, uh, bring the organization along. Let me ask you, um, digital transformation, that's been a topic that we've been discussing here for quite some time. What does it mean to you? So digital transformation, it, 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 there, there is a quite technical jargon and there's a lot of technical stuff out there. But from a supply chain perspective, it really comes down to new channels. And when we talk about a multi-channel in, in adding an e-commerce distribution, whether as an uh, FMCG operations leader, we've, I've managed a separate channel, um, but even as a uh, retail uh, leader, um, it's about then the omni-channel, how to bring that together. So the digital revolution has an aspect about change, transforming, transformation of the organization. There is a deep technical aspect that um, it really is quite challenging sometimes in terms of uh, the, the people and the organization and those people that are available to help bring that digital technical journey along because there, and I, I won't go through all the Gartner, but Gartner really spells out quite well that digital transformation. Uh, but uh, it's really about how to bring the technology in, integrate it, well with your team, well with your suppliers and with your customers, whether your customers are B2B or B2C, or whether you're going to do drop shipments, all these different um, aspects, even in an omni-channel uh, environment where you're shipping to store, shipping to customers, picking up from store, 
the technology and the digital aspect is, is the backbone. But at the end of the day, it's how you make that thing work, you know, with process. Well, first with strategy, what is the vision? Everyone working together with the right vision. And then what's wonderful about it, and, and from your point on the digital, is that you, you could just let your creativeness run wild. And the, the creative aspects are really what's going to bring new ideas and doing things differently. We don't have to always copy or read about what others do and integrate that. That's inspiration. That's what really makes us think and stimulate us. But you know, what, what could we do unique? What could we do differently? Competitive edge. Uh, and, and try to leapfrog as much as possible. Do you think that sometimes, uh, and I'm being, you know, I'm not asking for specific, but more general. Do you think sometimes supply chain leaders are so busy trying to tick a box saying, I've done this digital transformation, that they don't have the, take the opportunity to be creative, to look at the innovative ways that they can differentiate their business uh, via the um, technical advantages that that digital transformation can have? Uh, I have a, a slightly different view of that because I believe it's not uh, as general of a statement. I think it depends on the people and the companies at the time because there are really some great professionals out there uh, trying as much as they can with their team and their creativeness to really bring, bring and pull the thing forward. Um, and uh, they'll do what it takes in terms of the time, the effort, uh, and the investments. Um, they may be in a situation, and, and to come back to your question, um, there may be, from a standpoint of organizational support, that's critical. And that organizational support will be where you can do things in a way that is much more comprehensive in, in that sense. But it's not always the case. And uh, when you mentioned check, uh, check the box, lots of times companies are behind. You know, like when I was working at Toys R Us, for example, uh, in 2010, when I joined them as their international head of supply chain, um, we were behind the times and we really needed to move quickly. So there was uh, an enormous pressure on us uh, and that we brought to the different countries and the different regions because we had to move quick. In a sense, as you say, check the box. However, once we got the basics in, and with my colleagues in IT, and with my colleagues in the stores and everywhere, we, we started to think, okay, how could we then move into more of an omni-channel atmosphere? How could we take the technology that we have and do some things differently? For example, connecting warehousing uh, with demand planning so that we could fill trucks in a more optimal way with the product we really need, knowing how stores are finite and warehouses are finite. So um, at times what may appear checking box and going quickly is just be catching up or other pressures. But then at the end, um, those people will typically step back and try to do things or others will try to take it a step further. No, that makes sense. Um, I think the reason I asked that is because, you know, you know the statistics, so many digital transformation projects tend to fail. Uh, you know, what, what do you think that's down to? Uh, it comes down to, um, from, from what I saw, the uh, support of the organization is number one. Uh, it's uh, getting uh, the customers, whether it's a B2B, B2C, uh, well integrated into that, and the suppliers. So it's, 
I would say it's a true transformation journey. So the success has to be really looked at from a journey perspective. It's not a big bang. And in the cases where it is a big bang, just because you, you have to get something up, and as many of us have gone through these tech, technology installations, at some point, you got to go, even though it's not working 100%. But still, um, what really gets the success is uh, people at the end of the day, getting the process right, getting the technology and that, those aspects right, um, and, uh, and staying close to it. The support from the leadership is very important too. And the people who are doing their day-to-day -day transactions, they have to be involved in the beginning. The other aspect to your question where I saw uh, failures is where you go too quick and you're not testing it through. One of the things that you typically do in these end-to-end -end and unit testing is really to think about the day in the life and think about as much as possible from the customer's standpoint what they are thinking of, what, they, what their transactions, what they will want, uh, and then moving back from that into the design. And the design supporting whether it's coming from a store, whether it's coming from a warehouse, whether it's coming directly from your supplier, everyone being on board with that and really working it through. And also probably looking at what problem we're trying to solve, right? You know, for the consumer, for the business. I think that seems to be the consensus. And, but it also is something that is so easy to miss because one is so busy with the pace of change. I mean, that's one of the things that's changed a lot, hasn't it? Uh, I guess that's what I'm going to get where my next question is. How have you seen the profession change since you got started? Well, you know, what was quite interesting, and I remember when I started about 30 years ago, uh, and I was first introduced to, to Gartner's uh, four matrix or step uh, evolution. Um, it was quite a, about, at that time, very functional, very silo. We talked about supply chain in the way of logistics. There were separate people looking at logistics. And even within logistics, we were pretty functionally siloed between transportation and warehousing, uh, let alone uh, other functions that have to do with uh, inventory control. So um, let's start by saying that evolution of really being functional, I think, is, is changed a lot. Uh, the world also, by the way, Maria, has become a very small place. I remember in those early 1990s, um, back in my U.S. North American time as I was working for uh, Deloitte & Touche, uh, I, I was out uh, west, you know, in Nebraska. Uh, and as a New Yorker, it was quite an experience, a young, uh, a young uh, professional spending time. And uh, people uh, and chains uh, were just uh, getting out in terms on a national and international level. Uh, and and uh, you would go to places and it would be very local in terms of what you would find and what you would eat in the South, for example. Um, and then the world got smaller. Not only did North America get smaller, the world got smaller and Europe got smaller, uh, where everything is much more integrated. When, when I remember in the mid nineties, when I came over to Europe, uh, there was much more mom and pops or small chains, especially when we got into retail, many, much more production locally. When you think about what was happening uh, in the UK and on the continent in France and Spain and, and elsewhere, Germany, um, so every more local, less global, uh, but that's really what's, what's accelerated into the 2000. 
So there's the aspect of the world gets, gets smaller uh, because of technology and in internet. People also traveling a lot more um, and really interested, uh, not necessarily that they weren't, but really getting real experiences, understanding if you're European, going to uh, the States, if you're Asian, Chinese, spending time uh, in the US. We have a new generation, a second or third generation of big industrialists, whether they're Asian or whether they're uh, European America, where their kids are, are going to schools in different parts of the world that uh, their parents would, could never dream of. So um, world getting smaller, um, technology advancing to a point, people and all education, especially in supply chain, uh, really leapfrogging and lots of great research going on. If you, if you get a chance to read what's happening in, 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 in the profession in itself, uh, in education and in supply chain mm -hmm. has much more uh, accelerated. The, the uh, comfort uh, uh, um, of people working across different regions and with different nationals. So we find supply chain has really gotten much more uh, regional at a minimum uh, and then global um, at that standpoint. So that has helped us when we talk about the magic four quadrants uh, and, and that development, uh, when we think about going from functional areas to then collaborative and integrated processes. Um, also with that same experience, we find a lot of supply chain professionals now uh, very moted, motivated and, and, and easy to reach out with their suppliers and reach out with their customers. Lots of interest, but lots of real effective case studies out there um, and lots of good applications that uh, bring companies together and intercompanies. And this was another aspect if we think about 30 years ago, uh, the visionaries uh, and what we were hearing about is, is, is uh, working, not just integrating within your organization, but integrating outside your organization. And we see that much more uh, large companies, the Walmarts of, of the world, the Unilevers, et cetera, et cetera, have really- Well, I was just gonna say collaboration was sort of frowned upon. You know, if you think about 20, 30 years ago, we were more protective and more sort of uh, top secret, whereas now, the collaborative supply chain is, is a thing, you know? Uh, it's actually a thing that we wouldn't have thought about 20, 30 years ago. Also, there's the, the pace of change with, or the consumer behavior, the way that that's changed, you know, more e-commerce. Given your background, can you talk to us a little bit about how consumer behavior and the world of e-commerce has had an effect or an impact on the supply chain? Yes, uh, you, you could see that in a true uh, omni-channel or multi-channel uh, FMGC company or, or retailer, because now um, these companies are thinking about their stock uh, and where they could best, best deploy the stock. It's not just sitting in a warehouse, but it's stock that could be in a store and the stock in the store could be deployed from the store to the customer directly. It could be used for the customer to come in and pick up where they ordered online. Uh, and also the variations of our supplier stock in terms of how we move that stock through, uh, through the pipeline. So um, when, when we look at um, multi-channel and, 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 uh, and omni-channel uh, environments now, it's really opened our mind to thinking 
much more extended enterprise, and then throughout our enterprise, from a supply chain perspective, our demand planning has changed where we're not just thinking about, well, um, what are we selling in a region or what are we selling in a store, but what are the customers themselves, what are their trends and their behaviors as it relates to uh, pick up from store uh, and using that as a strategic uh, lever to get customers into the store and then for them to hopefully take other, other items with them. Uh, and then more importantly too is what we see is an incredible development in the area of last mile. Um, and this is an area where we're seeing globally constraints because uh, the major carriers that we all know, global carriers and regional carriers, uh, large companies and pure players, and we know, all know who, who they are, uh, are growing by double digits. And their volumes are quite significant let alone the volumes from individual companies. So when you aggregate all that together, last mile is becoming really the most important aspect of, of how, to your point, how do we satisfy that customer? How do we solve the customer's problem or need, I should say, when the customer says, well, I want it a certain time, a certain date, weekends, I, I'm working, so I'm not home. I need to pick it up somewhere, drop it off at a customer. So you could see how uh, we are responding uh, in this multi-channel uh, environment with the technology and with our carriers, with our logistics, and then on our inventory and our planning aspects, how we have to think differently and more sophisticated when we talk about demand sensing and this Demand sensing is something that there, there are many podcasts and there's many, very many, many interesting seminars about that. I'm, I'm always participating in there. Um, but really putting that together, that's this today's world. It's not even the new frontier. No, it, it isn't. I think, I, I think it's, uh, it's incumbent upon companies now to really work within these parameters, isn't it? I mean, if you don't have a clear... Um, I don't know, control over your understanding of demand, you can't thrive in an environment like this one, can you? Yeah, and I'll give you an example of a, of a company that I had worked with recently. Um, their uh, demand uh, uh, accuracy, forecasting accuracy, was down in the 20 30%, and is quite low. The, the shame of that, and, and this was the starting point, it wasn't necessarily where the company is today or where they're going, but um, we, we tend to focus on uh, that uh, aspect of having too much stock because our forecasting and demand accuracy is, is, is not sufficient enough. And we have the famous too much of the wrong stock and not as much of the right stock. Um, and that uh, results in excessive inventory and those holding costs. So these are operating costs of warehousing, especially if you're in third party, that results from that uh, poor forecasting accuracy and not planning the demand well. However, the, the other side, the brother or sister of that is when you don't have enough stock or the right stock, and therefore you're missing that top line. And not only are you missing that top line, meaning the opportunity of those additional incremental sales, which some of my colleagues weren't absorbing enough because they were so focused on saying, well, we have 
big warehouses with a lot of stuff to think, wow, look at all those sales that, that we missed, that we could have had if we could just get our forecasting and our demand planning to the next level. Let me move over to um, COVID. We haven't brought it up yet in this conversation yet. It's clearly the biggest issue in uh, this year and probably in our generation in terms of uh, global disruption. How has this had an impact on the supply chain as far as you're concerned? And what are the opportunities and challenges that are going to come out of this? You know, it's, it's a great, great question. And it's a nice cold shower, if I could say, for all us supply chain professionals. Um, and, and just having lived through that, as well as many of my colleagues, peers, and network, uh, some of the aspects have to do with the, the optimization of the just-in-time, something we've been uh, thinking about and well, working towards perfecting for the last 30 to 50 years. You know, when I started 30 years ago, it was already something well entrenched, especially when you think about Toyota and other companies that have really invested a lot and brought us a lot uh, over, over time. Um, but as we're trying to optimize inventory, just to my previous point, uh, we, we are not taking into account in our safety stock these epidemics that could really affect us because, you know, when was the last time we had such, such an experience and to that extent? So at such uh, a global, at a global scale, I mean, that it's not like a regional, you know, like an earthquake in a region that affects this one area. This is a global scale. Exactly. And that's the point. The global and the international aspect is what's quite uh, wakening and refreshing in this experience, because uh, you could be a, um, uh, an FMCG company that's manufacturing in one country and sourcing your components from another. So for example, you could be, I don't know, just as Singapore, Malaysia, just as an example, you're getting your components from China, but look what happened in China and how that affected China and the knock-on and domino effect that your uh, third party or uh, your third party manufacturer or your own manufacturing plants could have in other regions in Asia. Uh, or if you're local, for example, you're a European company and you're doing your own local manufacturing in Europe or North America, um, and those components aren't coming because everyone's in lockdown in China uh, or lockdown in another country. Um, now, you, now you have to come back to safety stock and safety stocks at the core of your inventory uh, planning. We talked about demand planning which, and forecasting, which is a, a, a critical, important element of that. But the safety stock is really what's bringing you to your inventory, your, your target inventory levels. So to your question, we have to now take a, a real sharp look at that uh, in light of uh, what's happening. The other is the sourcing aspects and looking at what other backup or what uh, other ideas that we want to do uh, in order to have uh, backup sourcing options um, rather than source from one company or from one region or one country, source from, from multiple uh, countries. Uh, same thing with distribution plants um, and uh, being in Europe during that time, it was quite interesting because uh, we weren't sure one day to the other uh, which country would, would stop, where we wouldn't be able to effectively uh, ship to our customers. 
uh, and therefore close warehouses or, or, uh, for, for epidemic reasons. So backup plan contingency, not only in manufacturing, not only in your inventory stock, uh, safety stock policy, but also in your at last mile and your warehousing, how you could support different regions or different countries. And I come to Europe because Europe's an interesting place with so many different geographical boundaries too, that you know, having done logistics network strategies a lot in Europe, there are uh, service and cost reasons that will dictate your, uh, your infrastructure uh, network. And then at the end of the day, you want to get that in terms of the best service and cost. But to your question now, uh, we, may, we will need to now look at those service and costs as duplicate redundancy so that uh, especially the next few years or the next year, we could be ready if something were to happen. Uh, if, for example, a warehouse or a plant has to be closed, not, not necessarily a country, uh, because there are uh, a virus uh, that, that hit that, uh, that location. Uh, so that's one aspect. The other aspect is certainly the visibility. Um, and uh, the visibility is something quite interesting. It's not only about uh, track and trace uh, in its EDI form, but really getting into uh, other technology and other ways to really be looking more carefully at what you have and where it is. Uh, having worked in many companies, uh, there are many different maturities uh, in this area. Some countries, of course, uh, that are known, much more sophisticated systems and people, and they could tell you in two seconds where their inventory is, whether it's raw materials, WIP, or it's finished products. But that's not the case in most companies, uh, or a lot of companies, let's say like that. So looking at that visibility to the sense that you can make quick decisions and planning of that uh, is, is quite critical. Um, and uh, also there's theft and there's other things that are coming up now, depending if you're in health and medical uh, that we saw more of, or if you're in high end and you're in luxury. Uh, it's an acceleration also uh, from a people standpoint of thinking about alternatives of how to keep the operation going. So during the, the um, confinement, most companies were closed and people then had to work at home and figure that out. So contingency planning, uh, lots of companies had to do that very quickly. Now we have a breath of air. We could think and go back to that, review, do we have the right setups? Basic stuff like, does everyone who needs have the right computers, have the right uh, uh, internet access? Uh, do we have protocols of when we're meeting, we're meeting in the morning, we're meeting at the end of the day? Um, and, and also, to give more flexibility to our team members and um, having a different way of thinking. You know, when you're in the office and people are in front of you, that sets certain expectations of how people work together as a team um, because there's a, there's a certain efficiency to that. But when everyone's working at home and, and they're taking care of kids perhaps, or they're supporting uh, their family members or partners, uh, you can't, you can't uh, expect that same sort of productivity and effect, effectiveness. So that has to also be taken into account. And that managing of work-life balance, um, we, we try, we tend to push as much as we can. But uh, at the end of the day, when we're in a virtual setting, 
we have to even take a step back even further than that to know that yes, good, good is never good enough and we always strive to be great, but in these kind of scenarios, we gotta at least get the good working and keep people, people's moral, morale working, working well, people's morale, feeling really good about it, being able to turn off even when they're home 24 seven is quite important. Yeah. Well, clearly the order of the day is a lot of flexibility and that's something that you said at the beginning uh, in terms, well, you've, you've said it throughout, which is having that kind of flexibility to be able to move fast, uh, quickly assess things, change. I want to talk to you about, you, you, when you introduced yourself, you talked about how you work cross-functionally and you really like working cross-functionally. Uh, how important is that uh, today and in, a, in the supply chain of the future? It's uh, critical and it goes back to your earlier questions and it's in the supply chain of today and yesterday. Uh, and yesterday for me is, you know, five years ago, not even, you know, way back. Um, Cross-functionally, when you think of the technology that you brought up, it's all about that. And the best you're going to get out of that technology, whether you're going from multi-channel, which as we learn through the coronavirus, we, we have to have that e-commerce uh, last mile alternative. You're not going to get there if you're not in tight with your IT team. They have constraints because of funding, because of people. It's never enough. So really getting into a, a good tight fit with them and working together in that same way. Same thing with finance. If it's a retail uh, organization, working with your store organization, your operations organization, um, so that uh, you're able to understand the needs of the customer. It goes back to your point. It's really about the customer and working back from the customer. And in a retail and an FMCG company, especially consumer facing ones, uh, the, the customer owned by the commercial team and the marketing team, they really understand the customer in general. So as a supply chain professional, working as tightly as possible, understanding your, and not one customer is the same, depending on the products, the market, and really helping design your supply chain to that effect. Uh, with the variables that we've been discussing um, are, are critical, critical uh, today. And more so in the future, I think, more so in the future with, uh, uh, absolutely, more so in the future. Last question, um, because I know we're all pressed for time these days and we need to switch off, switch off uh, as well. Um, what do you think about the concept, the fact that Everybody's talking about supply chain these days. It's on the news. It's you just turn on the TV. Do you think that this means that there's an opportunity for the supply chain professional to get an even bigger, uh, an even bigger role in the strategic development of a business? Yes, and you know this is a trend that I've been that we've been seeing me myself as an individual, but we've been seeing this trend over the last five, ten years more and even in this creation of a chief supply chain officer and, um, and vice president of uh, supply chain and or logistics being brought into executive teams, uh, as I have been over different companies. And um, your, your point is very well taken, um, but what, what I found through this experience is that um, the history of supply chain and, and 
there are many aspects when you think about the more administrative aspects and the product and the planning, there's so many aspects to this. But I believe, to your point, this has brought more focus and more understanding of the criticality to it. And um, really to move from being a stepchild to being a full integrated sibling in the family because companies realize the criticality of how supply chain makes the, makes the company work and also satisfies and even uh, brings the customer's uh, expectations to another level. On that note, Philip, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on this and having a cup of tea with us uh, today. Uh, hopefully we'll see you soon at uh, several of our other episodes. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me.